Smith is an Audio Wool original. This episode of Fright Day is brought to you by Spring Hill Jack Coffee. You need great coffee. Jack delivers. Visit springhilljack.coffee. This is like the most random topic I've ever covered. Yeah, I was kind of curious where the uh, connection came. Is there any connection? I mean, I got I got some witchy things to talk about. <laughs> no. I got that's, some, a, that's, that's a hard no. no. I've got right. about 4% witchiness sure. to talk about. is Fright Day. I'm your host, Byron. What scares you? French New Wave? Body horror? Kid death stuff? Sure, those subgenres are startling, but for me, it's remakes. Especially when passed from the hand of one visionary filmmaker to another. Liberty's runtime and color schemes, will it translate? Find out what we think when Giallo goes art house tonight as we review Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. And coffins are pretty straightforward. They're full of bodies of the dead. Sometimes they're not. Well, <laughs> think about it, in a coffin factory, they're not. It's true, they're empty or yeah. they're being tried out. Yeah. But what about small ones? And I'm not talking small, I'm talking tiny. Teeny tiny. Three to four inches. It's the Arthur Seat Coffins in this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. I'm joined tonight by Kelly. Arthur Seat Coffins kind of sounds like Arthur C. Clark. And Sam. You're saying it. And Sam. Hey guys, do you know someone that would be hiring for a coffin tester? All right. And who, who's that behind me? Oh, it's Jamie. Hi. I'm sorry. That was totally my fault. No, I it's fine. It's just, I'm really sorry. We'll get better at that. Sam, where are you going? Oh, great idea. Hey, Sam, thanks for shutting off the heat, buddy. Now, now is a good time to do that. I'm so we, glad. We catch it early. That's great. You know what I caught late, though? Suspiria. True Detective. Uh, we haven't even caught it yet. Before you ever knew me, I wasn't scared much. I wasn't a fear for man. Things I've seen, things I know, wouldn't do anything but cause harm. My whole brain's a bunch of missing pieces. Did you think you could just go on and never once have to look back? My job. There's no certainty. This case. it's going to be super emotionally draining so i'm trying to like i don't know prepare myself all right stabilize a little bit season three the story takes place in the ozarks over three separate time periods as partner detectives investigate a macabre crime they're going back to the roots of season one well, i guess it was always partners 
It was always partners. It's just I try to th- not think about that second one. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Mahershala I does like in the, the second, second season. All right. Some people do. Most people who do are wrong. Nope. 1980, 1990, and 2015. 1980 is the year a crime happens, which a young brother and sister go on a bike ride, but don't okay, go home. You're going to spoil anything, right? Because I haven't seen it. No, no, no. I'm okay. just uh, kind of setting the stage here. I am going to say it feels a lot like the West Memphis Three story. There's a, a point where police target some metal goth kids and one guy goes, what's this about? And pulls the shirt of a kid who's wearing a Black Sabbath logo. And he's like, I think it's the name of the band. He doesn't even know that it it stands for... uh, Yeah, for devilish things. mm -hmm. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne is real bad, though, so that's a fair question. Well, he bites the bats and pees on the Alamo, but it's also pretty funny. Just right, real stupid. Sharon! (laughs) 1990 is the year where the lead detective played by... Mahershala Ali, who people would know from Predators, Moonlight, Hidden Figures, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Or maybe the movie he was just nominated for an Oscar for, Green Room. Oh, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one either. He got a lot, though. He got a lot of nominations. He's also in House of Cards. This guy's all over the place. Yeah, he's the best. But yeah, he, in 1990, is being deposed on this case, and in 2015, he's being interviewed for one of those true crime shows about this case. It's kind of an interesting split in time. It also stars his partner, Stephen Dorff, who I thought was pretty unrecognizable. I just haven't really? seen a Dorff in a while. Yeah, I Star don't know that I have either. Sophia Coppola is somewhere. Did you ever watch that one? Nope. It's my favorite Dorff next to, of course, when he played Deacon Frost in the Blade movie. But also, this stars one of my favorite character actors. You guys know Scoot McNeary? No, but I love his name. I mean, most people do. He was in Monsters, Argo, Gone Girl. You may just not recognize him I because it's one of those guys. You know? I bet I'd probably look at a picture and I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Scoot. No, so far, I'm really enjoying this season. It's got the spirit of the first season. Plus, it's very Sonya. Jeremy? Well, he did direct the first three episodes. I guess I didn't realize that. You didn't that. realize that? No. He was going to do more, but apparently he had to leave the project after the first three due to some scheduling conflicts. I hope they're That's... for big projects. I feel like they always say that when they're like massive Ooh, wars on working. set. Oh, no. Yeah. They're like, oh, scheduling. No, Sorry. you can't touch people like that, well, Jeremy. He, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would be hard to work with. Okay, but... so let me ask you this. Have you seen more than three episodes? I have not. Because I was, I, I'd love to know whether there's like a significant tonal shift from the third one to the fourth one. Well, actually, I did start the third episode. Apparently, it wasn't directed by Jeremy. It was directed by a guy named Daniel Stackheim. Okay. He seems like a go-to for TV. He's done X-Files, Law & Order, House, NYPD Blue, Walking Dead, The Americans. Ozark. Ozark as well. He's so kinda... he's good with the Debbie Downers. That's good. Man in the High Castle, Game of Thrones, The Leftovers. He's your go-to TV guy. So that must have been when Jeremy went. They Had like, scheduling differences. Get Stackheim. <laughs> they pushed the Stackheim button and his red phone lights up. I gotta save a show. Stackheim's actually the name they gave to an HBO created robot that just be. does could be a robotic room, a room of writers direction. Yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to this series. Jamie, this is your first experience with True Detective. What do you think? <gasps> I love it. So you haven't like gone back okay, and watched the first one? Back once no. I'm really interested to see if she likes the second season. She should watch the second season too because it's mm. awesome. Everybody says it's bad and it's freaking great. Rachel McAdams is a legit actress in it. Who knew? Oh, really? <laughs> legit. Like who knew? No, it's like people say The Godfather is no, garbage. Nobody... And if you go back and watch it, it's fucking garbage. Yes, it is. Do not compare True Detective Season 2 to Godfather 3. That's disgusting. All right. Well, speaking of comparisons, for comparison, I also rewatched the 1977 Dario Argento version of Suspiria. Suspiria. You can run. 
become Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. But you cannot escape. Suspiria. Rated R. I'm glad you and Jamie did that because I've never seen it. So fill me in. I so appreciate your commitment. Well, it's beautiful. It's got that bright red blood. It's got goblins, right? It's got goblins on the keyboards. Right, that's what I mean. Tinkling the ivory. Yeah. Do you know how much I was hoping that I was going to report on the hobgoblins this week so I could use that as a super oh, awesome transition? Man, I would have let you do that. I know you would have. That would have been great. I know. I'm sorry. It was just too big a subject. I couldn't do it just. Goblin, of course, is the name of the band who did the soundtrack for Suspiria. <laughs> They're pretty angry, aren't they? Uh, they just go, la, 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 la. So they just sound like goblins? Kind of, yeah. It's yeah. just like weird prog rock. It's it, it's great. And I mean, <laughs> the film is great too. I, I really enjoy it. Every I, time you say prog rock, all I can think of is fraggle rock, and it makes me really happy inside. Well, that is, wow. Uh, well, I, I, I really, really dug Jessica Harper's performance in Suspiria. I think if anyone... What else did she do? Not much after she's done... Uh, she died? No, she actually does a cameo in this version as really? well. Really? Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise, something called Inserts. Brian mm. De Palma has a movie called Phantom of the Paradise? Yes. And Shock Treatments, which apparently is the follow-up to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which she replaced Susan Sarandon. Not so. a well-known sequel. wonder no. if it's better than Grease 2. I, I love Suspiria. There's just not a lot there, but visually, it's one of the cooler things. It's That's great. visually stimulating. Mm-hmm. So, like, nothing super cool beyond that. I'm not going to go yeah. against the fact that it's a classic. Storyline, not quite there. And no male psychologist character, right? Mm, We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys spend your week doing? I started watching Hellier. Uh, Excuse me? Hello, my name is David. I received your contact information through a mutual acquaintance who assures me that you are well equipped to investigate peculiar problems. For the past six months, I have been living in a rural home located on the border of West Virginia and Kentucky, where my family is nightly assaulted by creatures that I have come to believe are of an extraterrestrial origin. These beings appear to be the size and stature of a small child, devoid of any facial features save for large oily eyes and lipless mouths. They frighten my children by peering through their bedroom windows chirping at one another. I believe that they are coming from an abandoned mine located on the edge of my property. Though I am armed, I'm afraid that I'm far too frightened to enter the mine by my lonesome. I can guarantee you evidence of these creatures which I assure you are not wild animals. Please respond ASAP. Thank you. Okay, so this is one of the many wonderful things that come from our fabulous Facebook group. Somebody posted about this amazing new show called Hellier, and I went, hmm, it had a really cute wait, face. Wait, what, 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 what'd you do? Hmm, oh. because it had this really cute face on the poster that looked a little bit like Groot. Baby Groot, yeah. And I went, okay, this has my name written all over it, so I'm like, I gotta look into this. It's about these paranormal investigators that get a communication from a guy who says he's being terrorized by these goblins who are coming out of caves okay and Uh, they're initially incredibly skeptical of it the guys from kentucky okay 
I haven't gotten much further through that. Okay. okay. So, but Bob I've read Collins a lot about it. Crawling out of the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. So, and the Appalachian Mountains are haunted with lots of scary, spooky things. But this is remarkably similar to an incident that I think we've brought up on the show before. And this is the Hopkinsville. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, lots of parallels there. But the description of this show is like a mix of X Files, Catfish, and Ghost Hunters or something like that. Could you name something that sounds more like me? I'm very excited to watch it. It's free. Like, they very intentionally released it on free platforms. You can yeah, watch it on YouTube. It's a Planet Weird original. Yeah, so far, it's really cool. It seems realistic because it isn't overwhelmingly fast-paced. It's not a whole bunch of crazy wild stuff happening. There isn't a Baggins is ripping his shirt off and telling the ghost to stare at his tattoos. Look at these! Right. So it seems more believable because of it. And also these paranormal investigators seem pretty legit because they're very skeptical of this information that they get. But because the, it's goblins. The first big reveal is when they get to the town to investigate this place, the guy has apparently abandoned his house. Like he's not there. He's just gone. Hmm. Everybody in the town has really weird things. I mean, I've wait, never wait, been wait. to Kentucky, but A everybody man who believes in goblins isn't reliable. I know, but that's it. Apparently, spirals into something much, much, much more significant than that. And Baby Groot, Goblin Face. It's going to be really good. I'm excited to finish it. Yay! The article I'm reading is on weekandweird.com. Have you ever heard of this website? Yes, I have heard of that <laughs> website. Great. I frequent it a lot. Yeah, it seems like something that would Lots be for you. Of they lost me at catfish. But it's but I think what I'm watching right now is they're wondering if they're getting like catfished. Yes. Based on the pseudo spoilers I've read, it doesn't appear that they are, but who knows? Who knows? I'm excited about it. The cinematography is actually really, really beautiful. The stills look pretty impressive. It's very well done. The production value is very different than something you would expect for a free YouTube Amazon release. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I wonder where they're making their money here. Goblins. Oh right. It's big goblin. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, what else what else do you guys watch? You know, I watched this remake, but I think we're going to talk about it later. Oh, you did? You watched a remake this week? I did watch week? the film that we're covering this oh, week. Oh, okay. You know, I didn't do much. I was a, a best man over the weekend, so I was pretty busy, but... You are always the best man, Byron. I got my job done, at least. Good job. Oh, thanks. Well done. Appreciate it. You did a very good job. Byron. Blue Ribbon Byron. Well, right. Well, I wasn't talking about my job as a best man. I was talking about my obligation to the show. Second Blue Ribbon Byron. Thank you so much. No, I don't have much room on this vest that I'm wearing. That's okay. We'll get you a Bolton board. Kelly. Yeah. You were pretty busy yourself i was a wee bit busy heading across the pond and a little bit down i think it's up uh, up pretty okay, sure it's up sure. not great with geography <laughs> i'm doing my best somewhere east of here you went ac across the pond this week to Edinburgh. <gasps> okay so this is gonna be a struggle yep in this week's edition of kelly's cryptids and conspiracies kelly's cryptids and conspiracies two nights Report is a little bit weird. Warning up front. <clears throat> Tonight we're talking about Arthur's Seat Coffins, which makes no sense, as many names of things in England don't make sense. Also because uh, you don't sit in a coffin, you lay down. Am I right? <laughs> I thought this was in Scotland. Am I right, guys? <laughs> The UK has a funny way of naming things. So before I even tell you about this episode and the topic, I'm going to need to tell you about the location because the topic's a big surprise, what that actually means. We're going to talk about this spooky location, Arthur's Seat. Yes, that is a place, though us Americans, especially me, American, are often confused because the UK loves to give names to places and make them not sound like places at all, like Stratford-upon-Avon 
or blubber houses or mumbles or Lodsworth. In fact, while researching this episode, I think I inadvertently discovered some type of a conspiracy in the naming of UK locations. Listen to a few names that I found all in a similar region. Fanny Barks. Okay. Bobby Bottom. Scratchy Bottom. Butthole Road. <laughs> Pratt's Bottom. Okay. And for our story tonight, Arthur's Seat. So there's a lot of butt obsession. It's by Fingerbottom, I think. And who names things in UK? I don't know who it is. Or are they at the bottom? I, I No, not really. All right. A quick aside here. You're saying that they've got a name problem? Yeah. We're looking at towns like Cut and Shoot, Texas. Embarrass, Minnesota. Accident, okay, Maryland. <laughs> Embarrass, Minnesota is freaking witty as hell. Embarrassment? Uh-huh. Minnesota? Say embarrassment? Minnesota? Coupon, Pennsylvania. It's pretty good. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Great. Chicken, Alaska. Joe, Montana. That's I'm a- still not... That's Isn't that a football player? They... <laughs> Yes, they actually renamed themselves to capitalize on his his fame. Oh, well, that's a lot of fun. Um, still, it isn't a series of things named after rear ends, All right. which is interesting. Fun quote, though, from Washington Irving in 1817. He said, Arthur's seat was pure witchcraft. Even Irving knew about. Yes. And as much as I would like you to continue to believe that he's referencing an actual connection to witchcraft, he's talking actually about the beauty of the area and that it's just enchanting because it's so completely beautiful. Positive witches. Yeah. But that's okay. It is a big, beautiful hill. Actually, it's a volcano in Scotland just outside of... Edinburgh. Thank you. It is the largest of seven hills in this little area. And collectively, along with some other landscape, these hills form Holyrood Park which sounds like somebody's mispronouncing Hollywood, but I'm pretty sure it's been around longer than Hollywood. So Holyrood Park, at the top of Arthur's 822-foot seat, there are a bunch of cliffs, and these cliffs are called Salisbury Crags, named after Salisbury Steak. That's not true. And remember these, because they will be very important later. The lie you just said? No, the the crags. Salisbury Crags, which is a cool way of saying cliffs. The only crag I care about is the aggro crag. Guts. Oh, my God. Aren't they supposed to be rebooting that? I don't know. I'd imagine so. I've been watching... With Mike that. Mullally? Well, I mean, is I, that Megan Mullally's little brother, do you think? I've been watching the adult version. Lame. It's the new show by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Titans. Oh, I saw something about that. What is it called? Titans? Titan Games. I mean, it just seems real stupid. It's it bad. Is. Yeah, it seems bad. Okay. There's some debate among historians about where Arthur's Seat got its name. Some say it's merely a mispronunciation of the old Gaelic phrase... Arnasaid, which means height of arrows. Others, however, say it's tied to that Arthur, yes, King Arthur specifically, to historians who wrote a really cool recent book all about Arthur's seat, which of course we will have information about in the show notes of this episode at Friday.com, believe the latter to be true. For those of you who have not seen The Sword and the Stone, King Arthur is a figure in literary history, probably to some degree in real history as well, though that degree is slightly debated, actually Mm -hmm. hotly debated. Biography.com says it well, quote, King Arthur, the mythological figure associated with Camelot, may have been based on a 5th to 6th century British warrior who staved off invading Saxons. People do think he probably was some type of of figure, but there's a lot of talk about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and Camelot and all sorts of fun things. Well, yeah, Merlin was his goddamn wizard. Did you not see Sword in the Stone? We already said no. In fact, some people even believe Arthur's seat might be the real-life location of the legendary Camelot from some of the many stories about King Arthur. So that's kind of cool. 
In the immediate area of Arthur's Seat, there are a few locks. That's Scottish for lake. Wells, walls, and other fun things. The biggest lock, Dunningston, and beside that is a place called Murder Acre. Why such a name, you ask? Well, I will tell you. Murdered there. Worse than that. In 1677, there was a crowd of about 2,000 folk gathered below Echo's Rock. They love to name rocks around here. It's very interesting. At the southwest corner of Arthur's Seat. Tension had built between the Trades Association and the Town Guard. Sounds like some kind of a strike brewing or something like that. I don't really know. When the crowd failed to disperse at the Guard's request, the King's troops were sent in armed with firearms. A woman sitting on a dike was shot and killed which made everybody else panic, and they fled towards Dunningston Lock. In the fields west of the lock, the dragoons took aim and shot a bunch of men in the back. This is why it is now called Murder Acre, and there are supposedly ghosts there. But that is not the worst thing that's happened there. Above the same lock is a place called Hangman's Crag. This is named after an incident in 1769 where Mungo Campbell, great name, killed an excise officer and then committed suicide himself. He was buried below Salisbury Crags by the townspeople, but then they had a change of heart and dug him up, throwing him from the top. All right. Here's the thing, though. A a lot of weird, creepy stuff seems to happen around here, and there are thoughts that maybe there is a spooky sort of energy curse something going on. Also, the Scots basically invented distilled spirits, which explains... Mm. I've got a lot of Scottish blood in me. You better be nice. Murdering the tax man and then burying him and just like, ah, no, let's throw him off a cliff. I mean, that 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 would be fun. That was a Kelly accent. That was a bit of a me accent. His middle name is Nutter. No, it's not. Mungo Nutter Campbell. You're lying. Nope. That's got to be his nickname. It's a proper name. I mean, in the 1760s, people didn't have nicknames. Wow. I just didn't want to let that go, though. That's really good. No, that's great. This isn't the end of it. Smack dab in the middle of Arthur's seat is a place that we already discussed. It looks like he married his cousin. I mean, that was common back then. Yeah. In the middle of Arthur's seat is the park we talked about, Holyrood Park. It is only slightly smaller than Central Park. It's kind of a big deal there. And the next couple of stories that we're going to discuss take place uh, in various parts of Holyrood Park. I submit for your consideration the case of the wife who would not die. Sam listened very carefully to this one. In 1719, a surgeon named Nicole Mouchat became very quickly annoyed with his less than brilliant new wife. Shortly after marrying her, he began to try poisoning her with mercury. She survived his attempts, recovered, and because she had no clue her husband was the cause of her illness, redoubled her devotion to him for saving her when she was ill. When this didn't work, he decided to hire some robbers as makeshift hitmen. They also sound less than brilliant. They attacked her multiple times when she was out and about, running errands, visiting friends, etc. But each time they tried, they weren't able to finish the deed because other passersby would interrupt their crime, and they were too frightened to actually kill her with witnesses around. Like Stu and Randy. So finally, after like three attempts, he decided he couldn't stand it any longer, took matters into his own hands, and asked her to go up on a romantic walk around Arthur's seat at night. Then... Under the moonlight, he slit her throat. Okay, that's one way to do it. Yep. However, I don't know why he didn't just push her off the cliffs. Doesn't that make more sense? Yeah, that's um, fine, However, the surgeon turned out to be less than brilliant himself because he did a very abysmal job of covering up the clues, was arrested, tried, convicted, and hung in almost no time. Near one of the entrances to Holyrood Park is a monument, Mushat's Cairn, which pays tribute to his poor wife. Proving to be a particularly unlucky place for brides, guys. Another tragedy occurred in 1972. I got you! 
After meeting and falling in love with the love of her life through a romantic want ad type posting, a lovely 18-year-old Helga flew with her fella to... Uh, Edinburgh. Yep, to elope. His name was Ernest, but this was no Ernest P. Worrell. I, I don't get the reference. Are you... Is that Ernest's full name? Yeah. Is he being scared stupid right now? Do you know that currently walks around going, Ernest P. Wall. I want to watch Ernest P. Wall. What Ernest shows? Are, is, uh, he's always getting she hurt. Walked, she watches camp. She does watch Scared Stupid quite okay. a bit. But Wow. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry. This was Ernest Dumoulin, a 21-year-old finance advisor in training, and Helga was excited to start a new life with him, despite the disapproval of her father, Helmut. <laughs> I'm sure it's like, Helmut, or something like that. But Makes a little more sense. All right. <laughs> They stayed at a little bed and breakfast boarding house place, had a small ceremony. The couple who ran the bed and breakfast, the Woods, served as witnesses, and then they all went to dinner afterwards. Everybody was all happy. Everything Cute. was great. But that night, Ernest asked Helga to go on a romantic walk with him in Hollyrood Park. And we all know that nothing good happens in Hollyrood Park, especially with a bride. So the next morning, a local captain, sea captain, was out on a walk and saw the corpse of a woman near Arthur's seat at the bottom of the cliffs and called the police. They connected her body with Ernest, came to find him. He claimed that she had lost her balance and fallen to her death off the Salisbury Crags. I told you guys those were going to come back. Mm. The police let him return to his room where he apparently sat and played the theme song from Love Story over and over and over again. Don't get me wrong. I've spent many a day crying to that theme song alone in my room but it seems weird that somebody would kill their bride and then go cry to it just very strange the next day the police came back and they took Ernest to the station to answer some questions while he was there miss woods took the opportunity to clean up his room that he was staying in and found a receipt for a four hundred thousand dollar plus life insurance policy that had been taken out on helga only a few days earlier Turns out Ernest had even called the insurance company the morning after her death, before the police arrived, to file a claim, and they denied it. Now, what's interesting is in the article I read, it said something about they denied it because she had died on a mountain. That didn't seems have mountain insurance. Apparently, she didn't have mountain <laughs> insurance. I don't no, really know. You yeah. gotta be like, at a certain elevation. Yeah, topography is extremely important for insurance policies. Aside from that super clear motive, the physical evidence also proved that she could not have fallen because she had very few scrapes or marks from the way down the crags. So she would have had to have either jumped or been pushed hard enough to give some space between her and the cliffside as she fell. Ernest's trial was also very short, as the previous bride killer's was. He was sentenced to life in prison, but, fun fact, he has since been released. Pardon? Moved back to Germany. He's a minister and performs weddings regularly. Oh, good for um, yep. them? Yep. However, there is another monument at another entrance to Holyrood Park, this one called Dumoulin's Cairn paying tribute to poor Helga. So all of these women are memorialized with these cairns around Holyrood Park. Clearly some bloody, tragic history around this area. So it's a bit of a, a spooky spot, okay? Quite a few witnesses have seen ghosts. Some claim to have seen King Arthur himself. Um, a lot of people claim to have seen monks. There are remains of an abbey there, built, they think, sometime around the 1200s, but there aren't enough records to really verify for sure. St. Anthony's Chapel. So it's kind of got all the spooky characteristics of a good place in Scotland. And this is what leads us to the big story, guys. Here we go. During 1835, whilst hunting for rabbits, 
five young boys discovered 17 miniature coffins in a cave on the crags of Arthur's seat. There's some little cave that they duck into as young boys are wont to do. Love a cave. Yep. And they find these coffins, three to four inches long, stacked two rows of eight with a 17th coffin on the top. Very strange. To give the best description I can, I'm going to read the newspaper article from that year that discussed it. About three weeks ago, while a number of boys were amusing themselves and searching for rabbit burrows on the northeast range of Arthur's seat, they noticed in a very rugged and secluded spot a small opening in one of the rocks, the peculiar appearance of which attracted their attention. The mouth of this little cave was closed by three thin pieces of slate stone, rudely cut as the upper ends into a conical form, and so placed as to protect the interior from the effects of weather. The boys, having removed these tiny slabs, discovered an aperture about 12 inches square in which were lodged 17 Lilliputian coffins. I really like that adjective. Forming two tiers of eight each and one in a third just begun. Each of the coffins contained a miniature figure of the human form cut out in wood. The faces in particular being pretty well executed. They were dressed from head to foot in cotton clothes and decently laid out to mimic a representation of all the funeral trappings which usually form the last habiliments of the dead. The coffins are about three or four inches in length, regularly shaped, and cut out from a single piece of wood, with the exception of the lids, which are nailed down with wire sprigs or common brass pins. The lids and sides of each are profusely studded with ornaments formed of small pieces of tin and inserted in the wood with great care and regularity. Another remarkable circumstance is that many years must have elapsed since the first internment took place. It is also evident that the depositions must have been made singly and at considerable intervals, facts indicated by the rotten and decayed state of the first tier of coffins and their wooden mummies, the wrapping cloth being in the same instances entirely moldered away, while others show various degrees of decomposition and the coffin last placed, which with its shrouded tenant are as clean and fresh as if only a few days had elapsed since their entombment. Now, just a side note here. Since this time, researchers have said that it isn't necessarily the case that they were buried at different times because <laughs> since one of them was actually on the earth and exposed to moisture and such things, sure. it would naturally decay faster than the one that had a full layer of coffins between it, it and the ground. The right. And of course, these pictures are going to be in the show notes this episode of Friday.com. Oh, yeah. Great. Oh, pictures. yeah. As before stated, they were in all 17 of these mystic coffins. But a number were destroyed by the boys pelting them at each other Come on, kids. as unmeaning and contemptible trifles. None of the learned with whom we have conferred on this subject can account in any way for this singular fantasy of the human mind. The idea seems rather above insanity and yet much beneath rationality, nor is any such freak recorded in the natural history of enthusiasm. People used to write. Oh my God, it's crazy. The natural history of enthusiasm. Our own opinion would be, had we not some years ago abjured witchcraft and demonology, that there are still some of the weird sisters hovering about Mushat's Cairn or the Windy Gall who retain their ancient power to work the spells of death by entombing the likeness of those they wish to destroy. Okay, so there's your witchcraft, B. Oh, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. These things are cool. I love celebrating summer solstice because I'm kind of a weirdo and doing like little fairy things with the kids. Uh-huh. They almost look like fairy tombs. You know what I mean? They could be, but they're not dressed like fairies. No, here are some weird things about the way they're dressed, Byron. I'm glad you brought that up. So some of them are missing arms, which seems like, oh, maybe like an arm broke off or maybe 
it wouldn't fit in the coffin. But the clothing for those ones, it's actually like the armhole is stitched shut like it was supposed to not have an it's arm. purposeful, huh? Which is weird. Yeah. Really weird. Lots and lots of theories about what's going on behind these. Do you feel it? That chill? The cold that seeps into your marrow and leaves a trail of invisible frost along your spine? You left that door open, didn't you? Did you? The daylight hours are short now, and the night endless and hungry. The solstice has yet to come, or has it passed? Wasn't there a porch light on at the house across the street? A warm, sepia spot of hope in the emptiness? Wasn't there a house across the street? Is this how it all ends? In mindless, black cold? Now there is only ice, void, and piping hot spring-heeled Jack coffee. As you sip from your mug, there is warmth. Maybe Spring-Heeled Jack can turn this around, this infernal cold. Then again, it's only sustainably sourced artisanal coffee from a passionate family-crafted roaster. It's only coffee. Is it only coffee? It's warm and delicious, and for a moment you thaw as well. You watch out your window through the frosted pane, where now there is nothing. Nothing but you in Spring Hill Jack. Now available on Amazon Prime and at Springheeled, that's S-P-R-I-N-G-H-E-E-L-D, jack.coffee. Worst one, one of my favorites, Sailors. Uh, of course it's your favorite, but why? Some people believe that these were little tombs buried to commemorate sailors who were lost at oh, sea. sea burial. You don't necessarily have a marker, right. so it could represent... Right, and if they didn't know what happened, they didn't have a body, etc. The second thing, which Byron is probably going to be your favorite, is witches. Mm. So what does Arthur's Seat have to do with witches? Well, allow me to answer, since you asked Byron. I don't think it did. Holyrood Park was once called King's Park. And back in the day, there's something about this that reminds me. What was that horrible movie? God, you always say these. I know I do, and there's no way you could possibly guess what it is by that description. Yeah, there's a lot of bad movie. It was the same guy that wrote The Road, but it was a really graphically sexual movie, and I ended up seeing it with my parents, and it was horrifically traumatizing. And there's a scene where Cameron Diaz basically pleasures herself on the windshield of a convertible. Do you know what I'm talking about yet? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh no. Sam, what is it called? Is it called like the... The counselor. The, thank you. <laughs> okay, so this kind of reminds me of the counselor, but now I'm going to tell the story. Apparently back in the day, in King's Park, there was a stone by the name of Witch's Stone, and women would slide down it naked as part of a fertility ritual to guarantee that they would become impregnated immediately. Well, that sounds fun. Another witchy ritual that still takes place every spring, though in far fewer numbers than it once did, on May Day, young women would climb the hillside of Arthur's Seat and wash their face in the dew, which would supposedly keep them looking young and beautiful forever. It's supposedly the inspiration for Lana Del Rey's song, which I thought was interesting. What song is that? Um, Young and Beautiful. beautiful. 
I'll stick with virgin blood. Thank you very much. There are a ton of natural springs all around the park. And for centuries, the waters were thought to be magical. That's kind of why the dew is a big deal, too. Those waters were central to a ton of pagan rituals. But when the Protestant Reformation of 1560 made crimes of sorcery and witchcraft punishable by, in some cases, death, those rituals died out pretty quickly, or at least mostly died out. There is one particular fun witchy story from the late 1500s that I found in my research. Came from the book that was recently published about Arthur's seat that we already referenced. This is the story of Janet Boisman of Canongate. She was a young widow and a known herbalist, precisely the kind of person that her neighbor Alan Anderson would turn to when his body became racked with fever. She tried various remedies, but none worked. With Anderson's life ebbing away, she stole away to Arthur's seat under the cover of darkness, as witches do, to one of its wells where she confessed she called on the Holy Ghost, Arthur, and his queen. It just seems like a really interesting group of people to call upon um, to aid her. The words were barely spoken when, she claimed, a tall and strongly built man appeared and told her to dip Anderson's shirt three times in the spring waters and wrap him in it. Well, it worked. Unfortunately, it worked for Anderson, did not work for her. Anderson lived to tell the tale, which was a mean thing to do because Janet's fate was sealed when the Kirk heard about the tale. Sam, what the hell's a Kirk? I have no idea. Really? It's a judicial officer of some kind. Oh, perfect. When the Kirk heard about it, she was arrested, interrogated, and executed for being a witch. Just because she saved the guy with witchcraft, apparently. No good deed goes unpunished. So we're talking witches, but what do witches have to do with tiny little coffins? Well, that's a very good point. As I've said before, I don't know a ton about witchcraft or even a fair amount. But one of the theories about these dolls is that they were part of some kind of witchcraft or occult ritual, Mm -hmm. placing curses on people. Like voodoo. Right. But I think it's conflating voodoo and witchcraft, and I'm not really sure. I don't know. Maybe some of the people out there that are practicing witches or understand more about Wicca even would be able to fill in some information for me. Yes, I understand that witchcraft and Wicca are different things. But either one, if we knew more about perhaps anything relating to dolls, because in my experience, that's definitely a voodoo thing. Mm -hmm. And voodoo is different than witchcraft or Wicca. And we're not done talking about dolls. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. We've got some ideas for later on the year. Haunted dolls. Are we doing haunted dolls? Didn't you say that? No, I said that I should save this episode that we're doing right for now haunted dolls. for the next time there's a haunted doll movie. Oh, well, so we fucked up. Oh, yeah, well. that's oh, fine. I just, there wasn't anything else to do, and I apologize. This is great. Unfortunately, Byron, not to disappoint you, but in my research, this theory seems to be given the least validity by historians of all the theories, including the sailor theory. Oh, shocks. Sorry. But now that we've covered the less valid theories, let's step up to the most likely theory. These coffins changed hands to private parties a couple of times, and then they were donated to the National Museum of Scotland, which is where the remaining eight coffins reside today. Those boys messed up that many? Nine of them. Pelted them. Oh my god, they're not G.I. Joes, you I know. When I was that age, I absolutely, I would have burned them. Well, I mean. I would have taken care of all of them and would have set them up for the solstice so that the fairies would have beds to sleep in. Some wouldn't have heads. Let's be real. Clearly, because they're at a museum, they've done more research on them. As even the original newspaper article noted, the coffins were built out of one single piece of wood. The museum has discovered additional information, though. They appeared to be made with either cobbler or shoemaker tools. Do not ask me the difference between a cobbler and a shoemaker, because I have no clue. I thought they were the same thing. Sam might know. Sam? Maybe they One is elves and the other isn't? You're an idiot. Maybe they just... (laughs) 
we're defining cobbler in the same sentence for those who don't know what a cobbler is because it's an antiquated. Well, well, uh, cobbler fixes shoes. It wasn't cobbler, comma, or shoemaker, comma. It was cobbler or shoemaker. Another clue, there's thread contained within the dolls that dates them all to somewhere around 1830, which means they were buried not long before they were found. If you take all these details together, the most popular opinion in recent time, which means about the last 20 years, has been that the tiny little dolls and their coffins are connected to a bloody crime spree by two Williams Birkenhair. The Birkenhair. Birkenhair. Up the close and down the stair, button Ben with Birkenhair. Burke's the butcher, hair's the thief, knocks the boy that buys the beef. What the hell are you? He's my favorite. Who's ever heard of these two serious? Byron hadn't heard of these until he looked them up today. That's not true. Really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. You and your esoteric knowledge makes me freaking sick. I'd like to pretend I didn't get it off the National Museum of Scotland's website, but I did. Oh, okay. Well, I'd like to tell you I only know about Burke and Hare because of the Simon Pegg, Ilsa Fisher film. I mean, she's married to Sasha Baron Cohen. You should I know say that. her name. She's right. not in horror. It doesn't matter. Isla? Isla. Isla Fisher film of the same name, Burke and Hare. Actually, I wonder if it's Isla Fisher. Do you think it's Isla? It's not. You think it's Isla? And it could be Isla. I don't care. Which turns this bloody crime spree into a comedy. Edinburgh, 1828. The greatest minds came from all over the world. And so did these guys. Okay, clearly I need to watch this because it sounds really funny. Well, it's got a 30. I mean, the story really isn't funny. They were known as body snatchers slash yeah. grave robbers. Well, because back then, medical schools were having trouble finding bodies. Yeah, they needed to dissect things so that people could figure out how to save people from all of the horrible diseases. So at that time, people were digging up freshly yeah. buried bodies. Yeah, and they were bodies. selling them. But that's not what Burke and Hare were doing. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. Well, this ties into it directly. Like, freshness was a problem. Well, not there, for Burke and Hare. That's... Not at all, because they decided that they were just going to open up a boarding house kill the people that came there and so they'd always have fresh bodies apparently they didn't like digging i don't really know it's a lot of work yeah yeah it's significant and it's gross they were caught but they did this for about a year (laughs) 11 months how many people do you suppose they killed well i heard they did 16 at least it was 17 oh man 17 on the button b before I read more about this, I thought to myself, well, why the hell, like, who would put these weird little coffins with dolls in a cave side? Then I was listening to a YouTube speech by one of the gentleman curators at the museum, and he explained that back in the day, people had very strong religious beliefs that if you were not buried in the ground physically, not even that you wouldn't go to heaven, but that when the second coming of Christ happened, you would not be able to be resurrected. The idea was if people were truly concerned about these 17 humans that were murdered for dissection, they may have created likenesses to put in the ground and serve as substitutes so that they could hopefully be resurrected. Now, I don't know if the second coming of Jesus would resurrect a three-inch wood doll and turn it into a human seems weird i mean like even today everybody's got a few proxy corpses laying around no no i mean burke he was raised very religious so i guess that kind of makes sense well and burke fared quite a bit worse than hair i might add in the scenario i don't know byron if you saw how the story ended but hair turned state's witness well pardon king's witness king's witness slash snitch and he was actually let go yeah like completely let go and burke was hung burke and his wife So this is kind of fun, though, because on display in the police museum is a business card case, which is made from the skin of the left hand of Burke. 
apparently when they hung him, they actually then skinned him like the government, police, authorities did uh-huh. and created purses and other things out of his skin. Did they like deglove him and then like... I, don't, I have no idea. But literally there were purses and card cases made. Oh, that looks beautiful. It's actually embossed with Burke's skin pocketbook. Wow. That's yeah. beautiful. It is. It just became Byron's coveted collector item. Yeah, when, I, when this goes... I uh, think that's a little rich for Friday's blood. Yeah. yeah. For now. And then his skeleton is also on display in the medical school. Because back then, that was like the prime time where they're like, hey, let's see. I mean, is that the plot of Frankenstein? Was it was a murderer's brain? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they dissected him immediately following his execution. Wow. The poetic justice was they shepherded him right off to the school down the street and they chopped him up. I mean, I don't know. This is an interesting situation because it doesn't seem like Burke and Hare were murderers. They were just doing it out of convenience and desperation. They're just entrepreneurs, really. Hold on. They had people come to their boarding house. Yes. And they murdered them. Okay, but... uh, Byron, that's the definition of a murderer. No, no doubt they're murderers. I'm just saying, I don't think that they're... Because you just literally said, I don't think it was like they were murderers. Did I really say yes. that? Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, I'll go back and make sure I said that. You should. I'm sure I'll hear it. It doesn't seem like Burke and Hare were murderers. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it in that way. I guess I meant uh, there's a big difference between someone like H.H. H. Holmes who murdered people not for profit, but for the fact that he wanted to murder people. These people murdered... How do you know the profit wasn't just a fringe benefit? And how do you know that was the driving value for them? What because if they were I mean, serial killers and they thought, thing. hey, let's make some ducats while we're killing? They were just cutthroat sons of bitches. I think it's very different. But I don't know, I don't know them because I wasn't around in the 1800s. They seem like a-holes. It didn't give them boners. Would be Could money. have. Well, who knows? Regardless. They're, they're wallets now. This is far from the conclusive connection to those little coffins... But it is the best idea that we currently have. I like that idea because I just imagine that it's the equivalent. Someone was reading the broadsides of the day. It, like somebody would watch Nancy Grace today mm. and just gets wrapped up in something that has absolutely nothing to do with them. And it's like, oh, I need to make a proper burial for those poor folk. Ooh. So, so a Scottish <laughs> woman like with a southern accent... <laughs> Decided to get out her cobbling tools. <laughs> yes. And a it, giant piece of wood. Sure. You're, if you're following now. And assuming that the bodies had been dismantled for science, went ahead and also dismantled some of the dolls to represent the mutilation of the bodies. I also see. thereby ensuring that the dolls then that were supposed to serve the purpose of the proxy corpse that would then enable someone to be resurrected and sit at the right hand of Jesus, you know. I think it's right hand of God. Then mutilated God. the dolls, so maybe then the dolls also couldn't go to have... I don't really know either. I think all all dolls dolls go to heaven, right? (laughs) All dolls, yeah. That's in the it's in the Bible. All dolls go to heaven. I didn't I didn't wrap it around back to that title. I'm just making sure you understand that that was you and not me. That's the story of Arthur's seat coffins, guys. I should note there is a pretty fun fiction book, or it's supposed to be fun. Let's be honest, I didn't read it. Uh, It was written about the topic of these coffins, but it's a very fictionalized story. It just has that kind of at the center. It's written by Ian Rankin, and it's called The Falls. So if anybody wants to check that out, please feel free. Also, Arthur's seat is mentioned in Frankenstein, actually. Pops up in a lot of literature all over the place. Next time you guys see a mention of Arthur's seat, now you know what they're talking about. You've heard of the dolls. If anybody has any phenomenal theories about these dolls, please do reach out. I'd love to hear any more. Who knows? Maybe we could crack the case for the National Museum of Scotland. In the meantime, I would love to have them for 2019's Solstice for the Girls. 
very fun little coffins so we should look about making some coffins for them okay now we need to segue away from what kelly's talking about absolutely soon as possible well you talked about uh, some witchy things i did a few let's ramp it up a bit more witches I like witches. <laughs> Wake up. Because we're going to review Suspiria 2018. Hope you're enjoying your visit here this evening. Now, on with the show. Suspiria is a 2018 supernatural psychological horror film directed by Luca Guadagnino. Sam, could you share a little bit about this film? A darkness swirls at the center of a world-renowned dance company, one that will engulf the artistic director, an ambitious young dancer, and a grieving psychotherapist. Some will succumb to the nightmare. Others will finally wake up. Kelly. Yes? You know this gentleman. He did a film that I didn't watch yet. Uh, I think it won an award, right? I've watched all of them, so... You've seen Call Me By Your Name? I've seen all of them. Oh, my. Call Me By... Sam, you never watched Call Me By Your Name. Nice try. I clearly have not seen all of them. Call Me By Your Name is an incredibly beautiful movie. I loved it. Did it win? I don't remember if it won anything. It received four nominations. Best Picture... It won Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, good. It did win something. That makes yeah. me happy. I couldn't remember. It's glorious. It's glorious. It's much better than this. Oh, pardon me. I'm sorry. It it's is. not spooky, though, right? Not even a little. Yeah, I really like the director. This is obviously a dramatically different movie, mm-hmm. but I think he does a great job. Sam, do you have any past experience with Luca? I do not. This is my first foray into, into his work, and will probably be okay so he is an italian film director he's been working for a long time he's 47 for some reason i thought he was an up-and-comer but this guy's been working for a long time what an old bastard yeah come on hold on what did he make before call me by i mean so many oh really a a bigger splash was his big hit it's a 2015 italian drama film well that's not a long time ago i mean it goes all the way back to 1999 something called the protagonists which he was the writer and director it starred tilda swinton even back then so he did that when he was like 28 years old yeah a bit of a muse for him though we're uh, we're failures i mean we're not failures look at this show we have we're failures all right so that does seem that way suspiria it's been a long road to get here it premiered september 1st 2018 at the venice film festival and then it opened with a limited release in la and new york october 26th that expanded on halloween night to 311 screens Interesting. Amber is the color of its energy. Oh, 311. Whoa. I was listening to them the other morning. Oh, no. wow. In 2018, a remake was announced with David Gordon Green as the director. Really? Uh, Natalie Portman as the lead, or Isabel Furman, and Judy Dench was also attached. What's been described right there? More interesting to I'm you? going to pretend that that's what we got. Okay, so, I mean, a lot of strong opinions already. Do you guys want to dive right in? Yeah. I don't think this film was for me. I just want to say that off the bat. Again, objectively, it was beautiful. It was shot wonderfully. The cinematography was incredible. The choreography mm-hmm. was amazing. I mean, just everything. The lighting was great. The sound design was great. I think 
we all noticed this, and I think it's impossible not to notice. It looked like it was shot in 1977, mm-hmm. and not because they scrimped somewhere on production. Yeah. It was, I think, very deliberate and was amazing. We had discussed this briefly before the show, but it was set during the German autumn in 1977, which was a rash of Marxist terrorist acts. You know, the bombs going off and there's this whole dynamic of political unrest and and, and fear in the streets, which I I really enjoyed the historical aspect of it, like that part of it Mm -hmm. a lot. It was, I mean, wildly different from the original, which I guess all of this is wildly different for the most part. But you guys both haven't seen the original. That is correct. Not as what I would consider... I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself an adult now. So you like, saw it as a... Yeah. I'm like a, I'm like a fat older person. Okay. But when so, I was a thin younger person, uh-huh. I saw this movie. You may have seen it. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, going in, I guess that's a plus because a lot of people going into this who think Suspiria is one of their favorite movies would be looking at this with a different eye. And I am curious to hear what you guys thought about the movie having watched the original and this, you know, immediately after one another. Wait, they can't both have been after one another. Something had to be before. I don't. I, I, I don't know. Like you said, I love the cinematography and the choreography. I think they worked together in a really, really interesting way. There's a couple moments where the camera spins almost like it's dancing with you. It's shot beautifully. The colors are really cool, and that's something that's so different. The original is these really bright, vivid primary colors. This is a muted, dreary palette. I don't know. I really like that stuff. I think that that's also why Sonia does so well. These kind of really moody atmospheres. The cast of this is amazing. I agree. I should also point out mostly female. I think there's just a couple bit parts that are male. Yeah, I was trying to think... I'm not even thinking of any male actors that the were in it. investigators were male? Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'd imagine some audience members in the, the dances. Yeah, but the, the recital. Yeah. Dakota Johnson, I think she gets a bad rap. For her performance here or in general? I'd say in general. I mean, she did a great job in that film you love this year. Bad Times. Bad Times. I thought she was wonderful. Really great, but I mean, she's always going to be kind of stuck in that Fifty Shades thing until she, I guess, does something like this. I mean, Kristen Stewart got out of that twilight hole you know did she i think yeah. so yeah she's a legit actor now tilda swinton always amazing can we stop on dakota johnson for a quick second sure of course you guys know who she is like right like whose she's, kid she is yeah she's got a famous don johnson and melanie griffith that's right so yeah tilda swinton is one of the best actors that's currently active yeah i mean she's so she good she amazing. played three characters in this three characters I, mean, I like that they tried to keep it a secret for a while you're talking about lutz ebersdorf i thought that was funny yeah I, I, I don't really understand it either i mean i think that maybe her playing multiple roles could be considered distracting well, i just like the the storyline because i haven't seen the original but i did read enough about it to know that this psychologist character no. wasn't even in the original one like why was it added no what I, was the point want to make a movie more than an hour longer than the original i i kind of assumed it was like a kind of a nod to tyler perry uh, um in the the medea series and just oh. kind of the, <laughs> you're, the, you're the playing multiple roles okay a bit of a nutty professor yeah i don't think 
that's what it was. Well, I, I mean, we could talk about the Dr. Joseph Kemperer. And Kem- it's not, Kemperer. I didn't mind it. I thought it was cool. And I actually thought his character was very sad and kind of moving. But it was so weird and different from the rest of the story. And I don't think I was smart enough to understand how it was all supposed to weave together. The stories didn't really merge. The whole story seems to be very allegorical and geopolitical with underlying themes. And because my understanding of history and specifically war history and Cold War history mm-hmm. is so pathetic. I think most of it just went right over my head. I didn't pick up on the themes of national guilt following World War II. And I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there definitely any movie like this clearly is trying to make statements about patriarchy too. And did you see that same? Uh, no, no. Okay, no. so maybe I... there's a really smart article that I read in the Hollywood Reporter that literally is titled "What Is Suspiria Trying to Say?" I'm very curious as well. Yeah, and basically their conclusion was we have no clue, but they had a bunch of interesting thoughts, mm-hmm. like post-war German women wanted to castrate their World War II collaborator husbands okay. for not having listened to their protests and shrugged off their emotions about reproductive rights and/or Nazis. And that this is kind of a metaphor for that, which, okay, I mean, I guess I could buy that. Yes. Again, I'm not definitely not smart enough to pick up on something like that on my own. My biggest challenge with this movie wasn't in the acting, but was in the character evolution. So our main character, Susie, who supposedly comes from this, I mean, essentially Mennonite farm or something She's like from that. Ohio. She's from Amish or Mennonite or something like it that. It was Mennonite. She arrives in the big city of Berlin to become a dancer there is like almost no transition. You know what I mean? Like in terms of Dakota Johnson's character, by the way. Yes. So she just suddenly is, I don't know. It seems weird that there's no hesitation or transition from who she was in this upbringing to who she is in this place. And I understand that perhaps the director's trying to say that that's who she's always been. Uh And so that's why it it was so easy for her to step into that. I still can't help but believe that there would be a little bit more of a period of transition for somebody who goes from the middle of nowhere to Berlin. I mean, we have the flashbacks, I guess, that show her being kind of a... Oh, not pretentious... advanced child precocious precocious to her being a precocious child certainly precocious for her family setting it was hard for me to swallow that transition yeah i mean a lot is missing and i think that you're right in pointing out that she was accepted very quickly into this prestigious program with few references yeah and in the original the Susie character had a lot more trouble getting in i mean in winning winning over her yeah you almost feel like she doesn't go through a struggle she comes in and she's just like she's great the queen bee immediately. Which I right? mean, I guess that comes into play later. Yeah. But that scene in general, the the dance number, her first number. The pretzel man dance. The Well, all right. <laughs> wow. What a yeah. scene. Yes. Susie is dancing. It wasn't on an audition? Was that no, right? it was after her audition. This yeah. was the first like rehearsal with everybody. And at the same time, Olga, who had tried to leave this dance academy after her friend Patricia just went missing, finds herself in a mirrored room with no exit. And while Susie is dancing, it's not necessarily mirrored what's going on, but some really horrible things are happening to Olga in response to this dance that's happening at the same time. Yeah, her moves are somehow controlling Olga and throwing her into all sorts of contortions resulting in... Whoa. Bursted organs, broken yeah. bones. It is 
awesome. It is one of the coolest scenes. It's a standout. If I would have seen this last year, that would have been one of my favorite scenes to Clearly talk about. Clearly an homage to Pretzel Man Jack. I don't know about that yet. And rest in peace, yeah. Channel Zero, one I more know, time. I can't even. It'll find a home. I know it. It was incredible. The practical effects and the contortion. I agree. It was, in fact, that gave me great hope for the movie mm-hmm. because that was relatively early on. I was like, wow, this is picking up speed real fast. And then it just kind of died for a long time. Yeah, that was act two. This is broken up into five acts in an epilogue. Oh, I know that was rough. With title cards in between. Yeah, which is kind of fun. So this was pretty cool. And then it kind of died until the last act. In my opinion. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a couple standout scenes in the middle. There are some interesting points, but in terms of, wow, this is blowing my mind up. I don't know. There's that, that dream sequence Susie had. I really enjoyed. It's got guts and hooks and masks yeah. and worms and cutting. I like the encounter with the police. Yeah. A little bit of witchy stuff going on. Yeah. I, again, I felt like all of that was fine. This scene really blew me away and the end really blew me away. Even just little moments like the Carolyn's seizure. Yeah. The, that I was really freaky. A lot of these performances are startling visually because everyone except Dakota and we haven't even mentioned my girl Mia Gypsy Mellow. It's not, it's not your girl. It's no, I feel the Boof's girl. No, it's actually not true. They broke up last year. No. Yeah, he's dating FKA Twigs now. She's a musician. But Mia Gypsy Mellow the Silva Goth. Mia Goth. So many names. The huge name. She was in A Cure for Wellness, Marrow Bone, and now this. I actually really like her, to be honest. I think she's a pretty good actress. I've never seen more open fractures in a movie. Oh, Mia. And that's fantastic. That was a lot of fun. But what I was saying, though, is with the contortion, I think everyone on screen in the Dance Academy, other than Mia and Dakota and Tilda, were professional dancers. So they have incredible body control. And that's why they're really effective, because they're professionals and i mean dakota johnson became a professional she did two years of training a ballet she was doing two hours a day while she was filming 50 shades freed well that's the third kind of do something to take your mind <laughs> oh, off god of I, I think that the cast uh mostly dancers did a really really great job but it definitely gets bonkers oh without yeah. going into i don't think any more depth mm. than that I think we might have to say a couple things, right? Sure. I mean, I'm fine with whatever. Yeah. It gets witchy. And it's time for dead giveaways. Dead giveaways. This is the point in the show where we spoil a little bit of a movie. I recommend you watch Suspiria Now, which is available on VOD and physically pretty much everywhere. Pick it up, watch it, and now we're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, heads are popping, guys. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Uh, reminds me a lot of scanners. But... It, one of the coolest devices of this movie is the idea that these dances, these intricately choreographed dances, are actually rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the dancers may or may not know that they're involved in them, which is, I think is very, very Lovecraftian. That's, like, yeah. Just the idea of large-scale pagan rituals to summon we don't really know what. 
but summon something they do. I think it is cool, and that's one of the reasons that I bring up questions about how long Susie knew what was going on. I think it's interesting to consider, and I didn't even think about this until the end of the movie, looking back on the first dance that she did, which inflicted harm upon someone else. And I actually, the only way that I can justify her absurdly quick adjustment to the dance company is if she knew all along what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's implied. That she knew even in that first dance what was going on what she was doing which is a fun twist but it also has nothing to do with the original film right that, i mean it seems like most of this has nothing to do with the original though i would say so yeah again i can't speak yeah no absolutely know. the original film Susie escaped running out into the rain and this i mean she is the opposite of escaping i mean to me it's implied that she was born this crazy reincarnation of this crazy witch thing this is what she was always intended to do. Mm-hmm. See, and she I, just had to make her way from Ohio. I think there was an indwelling at some point after she joined the company where whoever this mother, the true mother was, inhabited her body and wreaked revenge on her daughters for straying away from whatever path it was mm-hmm. she had laid out for them. Wait, what? But it, it, what he's saying is that maybe when... Tilda performed all that magic at the beginning that it opened her up as a vessel for... Yeah, for the true mother witch. Which is interesting because Tilda seems to be almost insecure about her Oh, very insecure. Moving mm-hmm. forward. Well, because she, they voted against her. Yeah. They voted her down. They were deciding who was going to become queen of the castle. The supreme if you're an American horror story fan. Okay, there you go. She really wanted it, obviously, but they didn't vote for her. They voted for Marcos instead, who ironically was her as well. But um, Yeah, that's kind of fun. Another Tilda. Yeah. So I think she was super jealous and insecure. And even though at the beginning she comes off as this incredibly strong, powerful woman, In over the, the course of the movie, I feel like that power shifts you know, slowly but surely, Tilda becomes less and less secure while Susie becomes more and more secure. And finally, it's Susie who's coming in to save the day and take over from Marcos. It's interesting. I don't know if Tilda's character is falling in love with Susie or if she's slowly recognizing that there's something she's the boss so Jamie pointed something out to me that I didn't initially notice they're like communicating telepathically at the end Mm -hmm. yes what because that's what witches do all right I don't know if if you start asking why right now Uh, Byron we are never going to get to bed and we don't have time for that uh, wild finale, full of blood and guts and... Lots of real fun, weird dancing. I was, okay, doing, was, that... the, I was doing the dance was that... so much <laughs> when they were doing the sacrifice. Was that dance spinning. similar to the dance from the original? No. That, that's no. also the interesting thing about the original is there's very little dancing for a movie surrounding a, a dance company. I the... literally think the only thing that you can compare... You have to talk into the mic if you're going to talk. Trust me, he will never stop with it. He'll just yell. The only thing between the original and this one Uh that, like, matched, I think, was the color of the blood. (laughs) That that kind of greenish. It's just red. Like, absurd red blood. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to try and make this look like real blood. We're going to make this bright red. The red, red, red paint. So nothing else, though. Nothing else. Well, I mean, Dario Argento would agree. He was not impressed. He said, it did not excite me. It betrayed the spirit of the original. There is no fear. There is no music, which is something we have not quite talked about yet. Tom York, 
lead singer of the band Radiohead did the soundtrack. Okay, that was Love a, Radiohead. I mean, that's like, I never disagree with Jamie, but I totally disagree I don't know if Jamie. you can say that like conclusively that they're a band. Well, they aren't Goblin, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, he composed the score. It is his first feature film soundtrack. Even more to make Sam upset, York cited inspiration for this from the 1982 Blade Runner soundtrack. That's what he said. Uh, ha ha. How do you like them apples, Sam? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I felt about it. It did win a bunch of awards, the soundtrack. I thought it was beautiful. I loved the soundtrack. The, the score was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. But I am a Radiohead fan. I shouldn't say a fan. It's not like I know their albums inside and out. I enjoy listening to Radiohead. This is what's thinking about our body, what they mean. Oh, it got shortlist for the Academy Awards Best Original Song. So, I don't know. I, I thought that that was kind of a bummer, but there was a couple points, especially at the end where it's this kind of uh, almost upbeat song while there's just total chaos going on around her. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. But that was really the only true moment I thought that it worked. So. His vocals are, are like <sighs> the dentist sneezed when he was giving you a filling and just just straight up into your brain just yeah an audible volk leg snap then for you no that was cool that was a lot of fun mia goth's leg break was pretty great Uh, kelly what are your final thoughts on this to be honest i liked it more than i expected to i went in after hearing quite a few negative reviews from people i'm friends with also going in without having seen the original it was kind of weird to watch this and try and make a judgment on it was really impressed with the beginning. I thought the acting was phenomenal throughout. Byron, as you said, the cinematography, it was beautiful. I felt really bored for the middle section of the movie. Mm. I would say whatever acts three and four really drug for me. But to me, the payoff was worth it. I thought it was a really um, fascinating conclusion. And though I don't necessarily understand the psychologist's storyline or his long lost bride it didn't ruin the movie for me. It was sure. just weird and confusing. And I love Tom York. So I give this movie 7.1. Tom York's. Tom York's. Okay. This is a head down commitment to the director's personal vision with little consideration to the source material. Yeah, it's a cover. Well, covers usually take great care to the lyrics and the meaning behind it. And I think that that was kind of ignored here. Argento himself once again said it betrayed the spirit of the vision. And I agree. And I also think it's understandable for people who are fans of the original to be disappointed with this. But... It worked for me. It obviously took extreme sacrifice and preparation from the cast and crew to make this. Dakota, Tilda, Mia were all great. Dakota had to get a therapist after this from the hard work. No, that was just from her mom's plastic surgery. The dedication to ballet and understanding that was really interesting. I think it was unnecessary for a Suspiria film, but yeah. It was beautifully framed and colored. Cinematography and choreography worked hand in hand and so well. Loved the practical effects. Best witches in a long time. It is not the Suspiria that Argento made, but... That's not a bad thing. I like it all the same and for different reasons. So I'm going to give Suspiria 2018 7.6 Tilda Swinton rolls. Oh, nice. Nice. 
Suspiria 2018 was absolutely beautiful. I mean, the, the colors were amazing. It was psychedelic and it was moody and the practical effects were amazing. The gore and brutality was absolutely stunning, wonderful, and for me were really the only high points of this movie. So I am going to give this film 5.5 hours. <laughs> so then that's what it felt like. Wow. And those are our thoughts on Suspiria 2018. If you have seen this film, let me know what you think. Why don't you tweet us at Fright Day or shoot us a DM on Instagram at Fright Day as well. Why don't you like our pics there while you're there? You could also leave a comment below this episode in the show notes at FrightDay.com, which is going to be loaded with images of small coffins. Yes, or so take a many peek tiny there. Coffins. Yeah, you could also send us an email contact at FrightDay.com. And as always, let's have a full discussion in the Facebook group, Facebook.com/group/FrightDay. So much going on there. I overposted yesterday, but I'm sorry. I love it. It was no, good. Okay. I was no excited. There was just so much going on in the genre. I don't think you should apologize. It's a great place to have a conversation about it. Okay, so I really need to let you guys know about something because in investigating the Mia Goth and Shia LaBeouf breakup, yeah. I found that both of their exes are now living in Texas in a new movie together, Uh huh. which is directed by the same guy that did the movie Christine Byron. The one about one of your favorite on-screen suicides. Yeah, Christine yeah. Chubbuck story. Yeah, it's going to be a Netflix movie. It's not coming out until next year, but it's called The Devil All the Time, uh-huh. I heard which about is this. a horror thriller set in rural southern Ohio and West Virginia. Following World War II, right? Yep. Listen to this cast, though. Chris Evans, Bill Skarsgård, Mia Goth, Robert Pattinson, Mia Wakasawa, Mia Wasikowska. Yeah. Mia Waska. You got it. Mia Wasikowska. Uh, yeah, the list goes on, but it's it's a crazy list of people. Yeah, who's the director? Antonio Campos. Okay. Yeah, so he did Christine. Yeah. Um, not the Stephen King movie. No. It's based on a book. It's supposed to be a really cool book. People are very excited yeah, about I've it. Yeah, I've been hearing good things. Yeah, and there are fun rumors that Pattinson and Goth are now dating, though I doubt they are, but that would be really Why would you fun, doubt wouldn't that? it? Come on. They just don't seem like much of a match. I feel like she'd go for more of a Scars Guard. Different podcast. Yeah. Hope probably. She, she's going for the Scars Guard. I feel like she'd date Pennywise first. Oh, that Scars Guard. I thought you were talking about the older one. The older one is better looking. I'm so but... over this. And if you like our show and want to help us make it even better, grab something spooky at shop.frightday.com. Jamie. What? what? What do you think people should buy from the store? people should probably buy the black flag parody that was it was that was a good one because that was your idea it was uh-huh. she has all good ideas i do thank you kelly anything else kelly what do you what do you want to push this week well i would say buy the nessie hoodie but don't buy a size small or medium because oh. i need to try them on and <laughs> see on. which one fits me better and i want to make sure i get one all right well also the glow in the dark captain's abduction tea is pretty sweet oh, it's too. one of my favorites sam how about you as a suppressive person i like to identify it as such outwardly and i think those suppressive person pins are rad mm-hmm. all great things shop.frightday.com and we're gonna close our yap traps pretty soon here what's our next pin gonna be we need a new pin idea well, i mean we've got it's a, time we've, for a new pin we've been working on a very interesting idea Uh-oh. a bit of a, a bit of a, a club a pin club and uh, it will be happening pretty soon here we just need to sit down and have a meeting god i love a good meeting all right well Let's do it, uh, do it a bit <laughs> later, okay? <laughs> yeah, we do. All right, what, are you meeting with my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, That's... F- f- sorry, dude. Yep. 
But there's plenty more to hear at patreon.com slash fright day. Yes. When you support us there, you get access to so much stuff. Bonus episodes of Captain Kelly's Cryptids at Conspiracies, Byron Serial Corner, The Writer's Room, Cinema Autopsy, and Behind the Screams stuff. And uh, Kelly's going to have to come over to my house and finish up that fun project that she's re- reading The Wendigo. Yeah. It's a novella. I'm going to bring a bottle of wine and just read for 12 hours. I think it'll take three, but I think you got it in. Toast you. to toast with wine, Kelly. Ooh, that's Second f- episode coming up, Valentine's Day. Is that right? Did you decide what we're doing? Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ooh, very exciting. So uh, watch Which that. Which Sam thought we were talking about Interview with a Vampire and was all bummed out and angry. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Sometimes I don't listen super <laughs> I well. You know what's funny? That's exactly what he said. I was like, I what are you talking here. about? I Anne was, Rice. I was here. It was a week ago today. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So I, I was here. You. so much there, but that, I mean, that stuff's cool and all, but also you guys are, you're supporting us and it's helping us get closer and closer to this being more and more of our job. A, a lot of you do support us on Patreon. Two people hopped on this week. Oh, I wonder why. Canute uh, M and Austin M. Love. Yeah. Your support does mean a lot to us. Hey, thanks, Newton Austin. It really does. Uh, most helpful of all, Kelly. Yes. What's the most helpful thing? Please leave us a review on iTunes don't, so people like us. Don't need to, uh, yeah, do that. It's very, very important. It gets us inside of new ears and up side of charts. Really does. Kelly? Yeah? Where's your voice going to be until next week? Um, Working on a bunch of these projects. I mean, to say reach me at these places, the voice part just doesn't make yeah, sense, I, Byron. I guess I just, uh, it's not very logical. If somebody would want to talk to me before next week, they could certainly reach me Listen. on Twitter at Kelly Fright Day or by email, kelly at frightday.com. All right, good. I am at Sam Fright Day on Twitter. Email me, Sam at Friday.com. Instagram, Sam underscore Milo Dragovich. And I'm at Byron McCoy on Twitter and Instagram. Byron at Friday.com is my email address. Why do I always say it so fast? I really want you guys to follow me there. And until next Friday, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. And I'm Sam. Dance, dance like everybody's watching. You've been listening to an Audio Wool original produced by Byron McCoy. Theme music provided by Cemeteries. For more programs like this, visit audiowool.co. I'm gonna I'm gonna read some taglines, alright? For this film. Tell me what you think is the best one. Okay. Uh, tremble tremble, the witches are back. Not that one. Alright, so pass on that. Uh, give your soul to the dance. Seems like a Kelly one. I mean that's fine. Okay. Right. Let mother take care of you. No. 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 That's weird. Um, here, here we go. Listen to the whispers. Listen oh, I like. F- oh, what? Pardon. We'll listen for the whispers. I like that one. Okay. From my life. Okay. Uh, the, the beauty hides the blood. I don't. I don't know. No. But it sounds like something that almost would be a giallo. Giallo. Yeah. 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 Which is yeah. kind of nice. Uh, obey the ritual, which sounds like they're selling us a Gatorade or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfection commands sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Oh, pretentious. Pain cleanses all. That's like the martyr's sequel. Darkness blinds the gifted. Binds. That just doesn't make sense. Absolutely binds. not. Oh, binds. Thank you, Jamie. And this is where I push stop. <laughs>